Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shani, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And I'm so excited to have Judith Sedgman and Christine Heath joining us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Hawaii. Now, and for those who may not know, Judith and Christine host the well-known podcast Psychology Has It Backwards, which is based on the three principles by Sydney Banks. So welcome, Judith and Christine. Aloha. Yeah. <laughs> Such an honor to have you both. And I really just want to say to my listeners, this podcast has changed my life because when I was first introduced to the three principles, I didn't quite understand it. And it's until I heard all your stories, all those half an hour snippets, every other day I was listening to it. And then it just transformed the way I looked at life. I've never looked back. So I just really want to share this wisdom to as many people. So I'd love for you to start with, could we explain what the three principles are? And then we'll move on to a few common themes that I see. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, we really, any opportunity to share the three principles, we like to do that. And the fact that you were actually touched by something that you heard with what we said is the delight of our lifetime for us. So thank you. Really matters. Well, do you want me to start, Chris, on the principles or? Okay. Well, uh, either one of us could easily say this. I'm going to try to keep it very short and simple. Principles, generally speaking, are things that get to the essence of something and explain it. So like the principles of physics explain mass and matter and all the things that happen in the universe. And the principles that Sydney discovered were actually principles that explain all psychological outcomes explains why people act the way they do, why they see what they see, why they think what they think, and how they change. And so you don't want to look at it as, you know, I should memorize these definitions. It's just kind of listen to see whether the common sense of it strikes you. And so the essence of it is the principle we start with is mind, which simply refers to the fact that there is a beautiful, intelligent, omnipresent, universal source of energy that drives everything in the universe. That is the source of everything is alive and in motion and and so are we. So we're part of this huge ongoing creation of the universe, which is constantly recreating itself. And within that context, thought refers to the fact that when that energy flows through us as human beings, we create images and ideas in our head, which we call thought. That's a power, not, it doesn't matter what we create. It's the fact that that we can create. That is the principle of thought that we're always creating something in our head. And consciousness means everything that we create seems real to us. We experience it. So we experience it sensorily and we experience it as just, you know, thought coming into reality. So the principles explain how we create our experience of the reality we see. Amazing. It seems so simple. <laughs> So it, it is super simple. It's just very profound because we're used to looking at it in terms of not how we create the experience we're having, but what we create. We've been looking at the creative, the product of our creative ability, instead of looking at how that creative ability works. So to me, it's like mind is like the energy that turns us on. So it's kind of like we get plugged into 
the life source and we turn on. And consciousness is, it, to me, it's like the ability to see a reality, the ability to see how thought works, the ability to see that we're spiritual creatures, the ability to see all that, but the ability to see anything. Because if you've ever been unconscious, you know that you missed something, but you don't know what it was, right? And so it's kind of consciousness is like, is your ability to be aware of a reality. Well, what it does with our thought is it mixes with thought and it makes whatever you're thinking come to life. It gives it life. So that life force hits, comes through, hits thought, and then boom, that becomes your reality. Moment to moment, thought to thought. So if you're having angry thoughts, you're going to experience that in the way you experience anger. If you're having stressful thoughts, you're going to have those in the way that you experience that. But that's all brought to you moment to moment through thought and consciousness. And that makes complete sense. And it's so interesting you say that because in one of the other podcasts, you mentioned how thoughts can be so addictive. It's a habit, habit of thinking. And that was transformational for me because I realized my habits of thinking and I go, wow, it's just a habit. It can change. And how we're just so used to just thinking the way we're thinking and we don't believe we could change the way we're thinking. And it leads to thought leading to your reality. And even now I catch myself, oh, I'm just going into a little negative thought there, that worst case scenario. And we believe it so deeply though. And then we start acting on it and it's just catching ourselves before it. So it makes so much sense. I love for us to give some examples around a couple of topics, and that's really common amongst my patients and what they are describing that causes them stress. And one of them is actually perfectionism. And I hear that so often to the point where it actually causes stress even talking about it for them. <laughs> well, I could be the expert on pre and post perfectionism <laughs> because, uh, you know, before the principles and as I was growing up, well, first of all, I had, I was an only child and my parents were older. So I was like the center of attention all the time. They were always watching me to see how I was doing. And second of all, they were, my mother was a perfect housekeeper and a perfect wife and a perfectly beautiful woman who always looked gorgeous. And my father was a lawyer and, a, and got into politics and government and was a very successful person, highly regarded. So I had these two perfect parents who were also perfect parents. And so I was, I lived in a world in which I could never live up to the standards that I believed. They never set them. I set them. I thought I'll never be that, you know, my house, I'll never be this clean. You know, I'll never be as smart as my dad. My dad spoke five languages. And I could barely get through high school Spanish. And so I had all these thoughts that I was, no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough, even though I was good at what I did. But, you know, I was okay in school and I did well. And, you know, I was a perfectly fine person, but I didn't see it. So I was always trying to set a goal that I couldn't quite reach, set another goal. If I got there, I'd say, well, that's not good enough. And I'd set another one. And I had a very, as a result of that, I was living in anxiety and stress and was overwhelmed by all the obstacles I set for myself and exhausted. And just a, about a month before I actually met the person that introduced me to the principles, I had seen my physician who said, you know, I know you're young and you think you can do everything, but honestly, at the level of stress you're living, if you don't do something about this stress, you're not going to live long. 
And uh, I was like, oh, come on. You know, I'm just like everybody else where everybody successful is stressed and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, it's showing up, you know, it's showing up in your health. And uh, he wanted, at that time, the big thing was Valium. And he wanted to give me Valium. And I was the CEO of a medical practice management company that I had founded. I had 47 employees, 167 clients, and I couldn't afford to go into a brain fog because everything I did depended on my intellect and I had to be on top of things all the time. And I said, no, I can't take value. And he said, well, that's all I've got to offer. Wow. So I, okay, I'll just die young. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. And then it turned out that I was introduced to a, a physician who had recently moved to the town where I was at my business, who was one of the well, one of the first psychiatrists to start practicing from the principles. I didn't know anything about the principles, but I got introduced to him as a potential client. And I was like, the person who brought me there, when I saw the sign on the door, psychiatrist, I said, don't know. I don't want any more psychiatrists. I've, I've got eight. They're terrible. They're always depressed. <laughs> you know, they are giving me so much grief. And he said, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. This guy's different. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's what they all say. <laughs> but he was. So I walked in there and it actually was the first doctor that I had met who honestly believed that I could help and that he was willing to just turn over the business of his practice to me. And trust me, once we had this conversation, he said, no, I can tell you, you know what you're doing. And I'm, I need help desperately. I'm not good at business. I won't second guess you just help me get this thing straightened out. And I was like, this is like a dream come true for a person that's a control freak who is a perfectionist. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. And so that's how I started working. And then I realized when I got into the practice that his patients were nothing like any psychiatric patient I'd ever seen. I'd go in the waiting room, they were joking and laughing. And, you know, he had comic books in the waiting room for adults. You know, wow. it, it was very lighthearted and, uh, You'd hear laughter coming from his groups and then people weren't walking out, you know, with wadded up tissues crying out of their sessions. They were walking out with a smile and making another appointment. And I thought, what is going on here? So he asked me if I wanted to come to some of his groups so I could understand the work he did. And that's how I got involved. I started going to the groups and then my life changed and I became the happy person I am now, comparatively speaking, who no longer, I mean, my house is still clean and I, all of that, but I am not stressed out over it. And I'm no longer, I don't think a perfectionist, you know, I have habits of, of perfectionism, but if I don't, you know, like I was cleaning my house yesterday and I got tired and I wasn't quite finished and I thought, oh, I'll get to it, you know, and I just didn't, I, that would never have happened in the past. I would stay up all night before I would get to something tomorrow. So yeah, perfectionism is a set of thoughts that you adopt and you have no idea it's your belief system. You really think you're supposed to do that. That's like the word of God. And is that related to comparing ourselves to other people? Are we setting the standard based on the people around us? And does that go back to self-worth? To some degree, some people compare themselves to other people. Some people compare themselves to God. You know, some people compare themselves to impossibly high standards that mm. they think must be true, but nobody's ever achieved them, you know. And it's like athletes, you know, there are athletes who say people basketball players who want to be like Shaquille O'Neal or somebody famous. And there are other basketball players that want to be better than any basketball player that's ever been seen on the face of the earth. And they want to exceed those standards. But, you know, anytime you do that to yourself, you know, the thing is, we have to be who we are. 
And when we're being ourselves the best we can be, we're fine. And we, what the principles have kind of led me to is being very grateful for what I have and not regretting what I don't have. Wow. And being grateful for what I do and not regretting what I didn't do. And Christine, do you have something to add to that? Well, I think for me, perfectionism was more about fear that I was going to screw up, that I, I lived in terror that I would make a mistake and somehow someone would point it out and then all of my worst thoughts about myself would be true. It would be like the evidence that I was a flawed human being, that there was something wrong with me. So I was so anxious all the time, trying to make sure my life was done perfectly. And then, of course, I get myself so anxious that I wouldn't do well. And then it would be the proof, you know, like, see, it is true. You are stupid. So it's just that somewhere along the line, you place your well-being on how you perform. Mm. And so it looks like what you do has something to do with feeling better instead of seeing that you're feeling better and then it affects what you do. Like maybe you'll do it, maybe you won't. And you get to know yourself a little bit to see what those habits are. But I think a lot of times what happens is people just go to the intellect to try to find a way to feel better. And in their mind, they did something well and somebody said, oh, good job. Like Judy was talking about, she got a lot of positive feedback for doing things really well. And then what happens is they think that feeling is coming from what the other person says to them, like, you're good, you're bad, whatever. Seems like it comes from the outside world. So whatever you hook it up into in your mind, you keep going back to that because it's quite never enough. You know, it's never enough because you keep changing the standards for yourself because you don't feel good. So well, then it must be, you know, I got to do it 20 times a day and then I'll feel better. And so we kind of connect up that natural state of mental well-being that we all have within us to something that we do or whether other people like us or whether people are have thoughts about what we do. But it's all the same thing. It's just placing your your ability to live in mental well-being on something outside of you. What would be the first step for people to take to move away from perfectionism because I actually had a patient when I started the conversation about perfectionism she actually got quite anxious she goes but I need it it was like her identity and she was really proud of it as well however she knew it was causing a huge amount of stress and she didn't need what would be the first step people can take even is it planting a seed of these kind of conversations or what would you suggest? Well, when a person responds to, to you like that, that just means that they don't see that their perfectionism is coming from their own thinking. That's the best shot they have at feeling better. Mm. So that is just a little information. And what I do, what I'm sure Judy does, we don't go in there and try to talk to them about not being perfectionist because that goes away when you're in a healthier place. So when your state of mind is better, you start to get insights about how your thinking generates stress and then you can see it, but you can't see it mm. if it looks like it's your life preserver. Makes sense. So much sense. Yeah. That's what I would have said is my first step with people is to try to help them find peace of mind. 
something that, you know, just to find, to settle down, to quiet down, to understand that thoughts pass, you mm -hmm. know, without picking on any particular thought, just to kind of get them to get the feeling for that, the feeling that sometimes they're agitated, sometimes they're quiet, that their thinking changes and that they're, that that has something to do with how much emphasis and focus they put on certain thoughts. And then as people start to quiet down, you can get back to the topic that they asked about. But when somebody is a perfectionist and they ask you for help with perfectionism, they don't really want it. They want you to support the fact that, oh, you could be a better perfectionist. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Which kind of leads me on to my next question, Judith, which you actually mentioned about thoughts and ruminating thoughts. I get that a lot. You know, how do we help? stop the ruminating thoughts that keep us awake at night that constant not always worry but it's just that constant flow of thoughts which can be quite sticky where do we start well, i call it the hamster wheel <laughs> it's like you have this little hamster running on the wheel in your head all night long and it doesn't make any difference what it looks like or what it's doing is just annoying i think that people again it goes back to the, the idea that you can't really talk somebody out of a habitual behavior or a thing that troubles them that that's really coming from the state of mind they live in and how well they understand how thought works. So you have to kind of always go back to square one. And so my clients used to laugh at me because I'm famous for saying, well, I'll get to your question, but <laughs> first I want to talk to you about something else. You know, that's just me and other people might do th to things differently. But I think for people to start to appreciate power they have as human beings to think and to think different thoughts and to feel different with every thought that comes to mind. And once they kind of latch onto that power, you know, then they'll start to have insights and they'll say something things well, like, no wonder I can't sleep. I spend all the time while I'm brushing my teeth thinking about all the things I have to do tomorrow. You know? And so they'll start to see for themselves what's, what's happening in their own mind. It sounds like, to me, it sounds like a lot of your patients have the same problem and that they're going to their intellect to get some security. So if they have some kind of physical health problem, they probably feel like they want to be in control of it. And so they go up in their head and they start thinking about it and what's wrong. And we're kind of trained to focus on fixing what's wrong. And so we get caught up in a, in, in a loop, you know, like in a computer, you get a loop where you're trying to figure out something that you cannot use the intellect for there's no answer there it's just going to keep going round and round and round because that's not the place to go for what you should do so when you get caught up in going over and over and like i used to do that all the time i would call up my girlfriend and i would start going on and on about how i was victimized in my life that week and i i would like turn the phone off to the side she would turn the phone off to the side and then she'd come back and go uh-huh and then turn off to the side and uh-huh. And, you know, because I would just go on and on and on and on. And it never occurred to me that I was even doing that, right? Like I knew I couldn't sleep. I would wake up every hour on the hour. I had a lot of stress, physical health problems as a result of it. But I thought I was thinking because of things that happened in my life. I thought the outside world was causing me to have to go over it and over it and over it. I didn't realize that it was me caught in a loop and I was going to the wrong place to look for answers. Like instead of going to, what we do is we go to memory, which is the intellect. 
So if you haven't figured out what to do about it yet, there's not going to be anything there. But yet we go through it like it's a, you know, a popular place to put things in your house, like a junk drawer. We keep thinking it's going to be there. We keep looking for an answer. So when people are ruminating, what they need to do is come back into the present moment where they're safe and let their mind shift over into healthy functioning. And then that thinking will drop away. But you don't want to get into trying to manage that thinking because that's more of the same. You're trying to fix what's wrong with you so that you can get to a good feeling. Just go directly to how you want to feel and know that the rest of it's just a little malfunction in your computer. You know, you just get caught in a loop. That's all. It's exactly the same thing. But the way out, the only way out is to focus on a feeling, a feeling of calm, a feeling of well-being, a feeling of love, a feeling of life. And that's you can only get in the here and now. Can't think your way to that. So, Christine, when did you realize that's something that you had to change? What was the tipping point? What was that moment where you go, hold on a sec, I've been doing this. And what was the first step that you took? Was it just being aware of how you're feeling and focusing on the moment? I was just listening to a speaker about on this work. And all of a sudden, my my mind shifted. And I realized that what I was worrying about and going over was just my thought, really anything there that it was an illusion created by my own insecurity that made it appear as if there was a problem for me to be ruminating about. Wow. And it was as simple as that, just having that awareness. It's incredible. And I kept seeing that deeper and deeper as over the last 40 years, but yeah, that was, it was a huge shift for me. It's incredible. Judith, you were going to mention something. I was just going to say for me, it was a simple thing too. I just suddenly realized that if I'd been so anxious and so upset and so worried and so constantly going over stuff in my mind and judging every my, myself and everything else in my life, that if I was using, if I had this power and I could make myself that miserable, but it was just a power, why couldn't I just power something else? You know, it just occurred to me, it's like plugging something into an electric plug. You know, why plug in a buzzsaw when you can plug in a movie? <laughs> and so, and that's really what started me turning around is just realizing I had the power to change, but it was my power. Nobody else could do it for me or make me do it or teach me how to do it. I just had to see it. I think that was one of my transformational moments when I heard that in one of your podcasts, only you can change your thoughts. And even now, sometimes I just go into the habit of repetitive thoughts and I go, oh, there it is again. There's that habit. It's time to calm down, you know, and I I do a couple of strategies just to calm the mind down. But it is so interesting how these are all habits of thinking. And once you're aware it's just a habit, that means you can change it. And it takes effort. It takes time. It takes a lot of work on it in order to just catch it and then change it because at the end of the day habits are you know we've practiced it for years and it's not just something going to change when it takes effort like that you're trying to think your way out of it so true you're trying to manage your thinking Mm. if you go to the feeling of mental well-being your mind quiets on its own it's not you quieting your mind so true so true thank you that makes so much sense realize when we talk about innate health that's who we are that's like a starter kit 
you know, like babies are born unhappy. <laughs> you have to think your way into unhappiness in life. And the starter kit is we revert. If we just leave our thinking alone, we revert to peace of mind, to a quiet state and fresh thoughts. Because everything, every thought is new moment to moment. And so it's our natural state is to not be upset. Upset is a state that we create. And then all we can do is sustain it by continuing to create it. And as soon as you see that, that creative force is thought to thought, thought to thought, one thought at a time. You can go like, okay, I'm done. Turn your back on it. Yeah, so true. Now, sometimes you can be in a state of mind that's pretty low and your thoughts will have their way with you. Mm. You know, but if you just remember it's just the state of mind you're in and then you start to quiet down and calm down, it'll pass eventually if you don't try to do anything to it. But if you try to manage it and get out of it, you get more stuck. So it's just got to remember what Judy said is like your, your innate state is one in which you're feeling at peace in your mind. And if you're not at peace in your mind, you're thinking too much and you've been thinking too much for a while. Exactly. Exactly. Now, before we let you go, there was one last question. And one of my patients was saying, it's so natural to go to the worst case scenario. How can we help ourselves instead of going to the worst case scenario? How can we go to the most likely scenario or even the best case scenario? Because that creates a different emotion. You know, I don't think it's really natural for everybody to go to the worst case scenario. I think it's natural for people who've picked up that habit to do it. But some people go to the best case scenario. We call them optimists. You know? yeah. so, so I think that once you, a person's kind of already onto themselves when they say, gosh, it's so natural for me to go to the worst case scenario, because you can say, well, it's not really born, you know, we're not born to go to the worst case scenario. It's a habit you've accomplished by thinking it so often, it's now become sort of ingrained. If you can do that, you can do anything with your thought. You know, so uh, and the, the first thing to question is if you've already seen that you do it a lot, you're halfway home. So true. So true. I think one of the first things that I heard when I was listening to this was positivity. And at the time, this was 1980, being positive in therapy was considered bad therapy because you weren't dealing with the person's pathology. You weren't dealing with what was wrong with them. And you know, the more you embrace positivity, the less time you spend in negativity. It's pretty simple, right? And so that's just looking at worst case scenarios, just chronic negative thinker. And I think it would be great to read this book called Second Chance that Sidney Banks wrote, because that's the guy, Richard, that goes there is a chronic negative thinker. And so it seems like it's natural. It's the level of consciousness of the world is just very low. So is there a lot of Activity and negative thinking going on? Absolutely. But your natural state is not to go with the negative. Your natural state is being in that beautiful feeling. And then you contaminate it with your own insecure thinking. Now, nobody ever overthinks the positive. <laughs> the things we overthink are things that make us afraid, insecure things, or negative things. We can go on and on and on and on and on. So when you're a big time thinker, you tend to be a little more negative because there's so much availability there to keep thinking. 
So I love that. I love that. This has been so inspiring and I can't wait to share this podcast to my listeners and to my patients. And I can't thank you both enough. Such an honor to have you both. And I wish you just keep spreading this amazing wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And please, you keep taking I'm going to do a little infomercial here, if you don't mind. Yes. Three Principles Global Community is going to be doing some webinars for people in your time zone. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so I'll let you know that and you can let your people know. And that's just a way to learn for themselves a little bit more too. Fantastic. And before I let you both go, where can people find you? We know about your podcast. Where else can they find more resources? Well, we're both on the Three Principles Global Community Practitioner list. It has all of our stuff. I'm at the Hawaii Counseling and Education Center. And yeah, which has a website. Yeah. 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 And, uh, one of the um, website, I never remember what it is, Hawaii Counseling and Education Center.com with the and written out. And my website is threeprinciples.com. Oh, fantastic. Word three the dash principles, P R I N C I P L E S dot com. Yeah, I know I got, got that domain name early. So yeah. I was yeah. like, Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much and have the most beautiful day and we'll be in touch soon. I'm sure. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much and best wishes. Thank you. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.